we are going to be beginning a new series. In fact, we're going to be opening up a new book together. And I'm really excited about this because we are going to be looking at the Gospel of John. Now, John's Gospel is a long book. So we're not going to go through it all in one go. And we're going to kind of take our time, maybe in sort of three sections, to, to gradually work through this Gospel over the coming year. And this is going to be an amazing opportunity for us uh, to look at Jesus. You know, one of the things that I love about the Gospels is that they're kind of windows into the life of Jesus when he was here on earth, walking around as a man. And John's gospel is amazing. I'm not going to tell you any more because I'm not going to steal Simon's thunder. He's going to come and introduce uh, the book to us uh, in a moment. But can we pray uh, together before Simon comes as we open up this incredible piece of God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that you are a God who speaks. Jesus, thank you for these windows into your life here on earth. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you, as as we open up this book together, to speak to us over these coming weeks and months, over this coming year, as we we work our way through uh, this narrative around your life here on earth. Would you shape us and would you mould us to be more like you, Jesus? We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. Well, there's plenty going on in the church, isn't there? (laughs) Um, But it's exciting, isn't it, to be part of a church that um, has lots happening. Um, Rather be part of something where um, there's lots going on than there's nothing happening, right? So that's, that's fun. That's exciting. You know something else I love about summer is just the outfits that come out. I mean, I have to be honest. I mean, John's shirt is just fantastic. Straight out of a movie, my shell, that shirt, crushing it, amazing. Um, all the shirts come out. Fortunately, didn't wear a shirt, but I got some checkered pants on. Or not pants, I mean trousers. Sorry. Um, some, I'm still getting around to that after 11 years living in London. But yeah, as Phil said, we're going to get into the Gospel of John, which is a great book. And I don't know if you're allowed to have favourites, favorite gospels, favorite books in the Bible, but if you did, then John would have to be up there for me. It was personally um, quite impactful for me as certainly, well, still is, but certainly was as, as a teenager when I first began to sort of read through the gospels and the Bible for myself. I was about sort of 16, 17 years old and grasping faith for myself. Um, I remember reading through the gospel of John and it really marked me. And even now, five years later, no, I'm, kidding, I'm a bit older than that. I know I look 25, but I'm a bit older than that. You know, all these years later, I keep going back to those same scriptures that kind of grabbed my heart when I was sort of 16 or 17. And so the book of John is so rich. It's so deep. And so I'm excited to get into it with you guys tonight. We're just going to do a bit of an overview, a bit of an introduction tonight, and then the next few weeks we're going to dig a little bit deeper. But I guess the first question to ask was, who was John? And I guess most of us here would have some context into who John is. Obviously, he was one of Jesus' disciples. He was a fisherman, but he was called by Jesus around the age of about 16. So he was just really a boy when Jesus called him to follow him, and Jesus being probably the most successful youth pastor of all time. He had all these kids who were kind of following him around and he was teaching them and all that sort of stuff. And so John was probably the youngest 
of the disciples. His brother was James and kind of made it into the inner circle of Jesus, if you like. You know, James, John, and, and Peter, the loudmouth among them. <laughs> and um, James and his brother John were given this name, the Sons of Thunder. They were given this nickname, the Sons of Thunder, because of their zeal and because of their passion. And um, they cursed a town or wherever that didn't accept Jesus. And so they were very passionate young guys. And then, of course, we know as Jesus died and then resurrected. John became one of the leaders in the early church there along with James, his brother, and Peter. And then as persecution broke out in Jerusalem, historians and scholars would tell us that John moved to Ephesus where Timothy, remember Paul's protege, was pastoring a huge church of some 15, 20,000 people in the amphitheater in Ephesus. And so John moved there with Jesus' mother Mary and looked after her until she died. They say that John was boiled alive in oil, miraculously survived persecution, was rounded up at the end of the century and shipped off to the island of Patmos where he was sort of left there for dead. This is where he wrote the book of Revelation, where he had these amazing visions of the second coming of Christ on this island of Patmos. Some scholars say that he died in Patmos. Others say that he moved back to Ephesus, and there's sort of a lot of debate around his grave, but, you know, his, his grave, they say, is in Ephesus. Anyway, that's sort of just a little bit of some fun facts about John here. And um, the book of John itself, John, he gave us five documents in your New Testament Bible. He's given us, obviously, the gospel according to John. He's given us three letters, one, two, and three John, and he has given us the book of Revelation. So he's given us some amazing content on the person of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his second coming, which is amazing. So John had some grasp of this person, this God-man Jesus, and so hopefully we can take something from him <laughs> and we can learn something from his writings. John the Gospel, is, um, his account is sort of set apart from, from the other Gospel accounts. If you were going to liken them to films, you could maybe liken Matthew to our planet. Something like that. Obviously, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a modern-day accountant. He was very detailed down to the nth degree, and he loved all of that. He was writing to the Israelites, and he was trying to show Israel how Jesus was their Messiah. He referenced some 145 references from the Old Testament into the New, showing how Jesus was the promised Messiah of Israel, so on. And so he's very, very detailed, and so he uses all the context like David Attenborough you know, gives you all the stats, gives you all the details, gives you everything. Mark was uh, written by uh, Mark, but really by Simon Peter. Um, he was dictating, you know, Simon Peter, the loudmouth. Um, Mark, the gospel, could be likened to the Expendables. If you're watching the Expendables, that's like Mark. It's like wham, bam, thank you, man. It is action. It is short. It is power-packed. There are miracles. There are healings. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's like... And it's like, oh my gosh, that, okay, that bit like Peter's personality. Um, Mark was the first gospel to be written and uh, sort of gave the framework for the other gospels. Luke could be a little bit like ER, you know. Luke was a doctor, so he loved the healings of Jesus. And so he talked a lot about the healings of Jesus um, and the different miracles and that sort of thing. But 
What you notice in the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, is that they take a lot of different events throughout the life of Jesus. And so there's a lot more chapters, there's a lot more um, verses, and there's a lot more things going on. John is completely different. If you're going to liken the Gospel of John to a movie, you can liken it to The Notebook, okay? The Notebook, there's romance, there's beauty, there's love, there's depth. It's simple, but then once you get past the simplicity, it gets real deep real quick, just like relationships. <laughs> so John is a little bit like the notebook. John arranges his gospel account like a court case. In fact, at the very end of his gospel, he said, you know, all of the things Jesus said and did, the scrolls in all the world could not contain all of those things. But I have chosen just a handful of things. John chooses around about eight events in the life of Jesus. And the other things he uses with conversation. So there's lots of conversation in John's gospel. And that's why you see like the woman at the well, there's lots of running conversation there. Jesus is going back and forth with the woman. Nicodemus, you see that long conversation with Nicodemus. They're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He has all of these long conversations like talking with a girl, right? So, <laughs> the notebook. So, <laughs> I don't want to dig myself a hole because I feel like I'm starting to, but I just got to stop. Um, so, 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 jo so John's gospel, he arranges it like a court case. And it's almost as if he picks different witnesses to go on the stand like John the Baptist and others to give account of Jesus. And then he picks very particular events and miracles and healings in the life of Jesus to ultimately give evidence to who this person Jesus was. The Gospel of John has also been likened to a Rembrandt painting, which is quite interesting. Um, Rembrandt painting, you know, the, it's, it's kind of got a very particular sort of style, doesn't it? It's kind of those really dark backgrounds and then this figure kind of pops off the dark background. And so John's gospel has sort of been likened to that in the sense that he sort of paints this portrait of Jesus that sort of just pops out of the darkness of the world essentially. And the more you look at it, the more you go, my gosh, that's amazing. I never saw that before. And so John's gospel is just one of those books where you can read it for your entire life and you can keep going back to it and you can keep discovering new things because you're like, I never saw that before. That's amazing. And so that's why I guess it stands as a standalone to the other gospel accounts. So that was my greeting. I didn't come to give you a seminar today on the gospel of John because you can go online and there's lots of fantastic resources available for you to study for yourself and discover more of what John's gospel is all about. And um, I would encourage you to sort of do that in your own time. If you are interested in getting a little bit more knowledge about John's gospel, then really get after it. I'm going to speak to you for a few more moments and try and inspire your faith today from the first chapter of John. It's quite interesting. I was reading a commentator and he was saying that the entire book, the entire gospel account, basically hinges off this first chapter. And it's almost as if in this first chapter, John gives us all of his big ideas that he's going to explore in his account, but he gives them to us in seed form. So for instance, he gives us 
seven titles of Jesus, which in the first chapter, in seed form, he just kind of drops it in there, like, but then he explores it as he gets into his writing. And one of those big ideas that I want to explore today, or just talk a little bit more about, is this idea, which I'm going to entitle this message, called Come and See. I'm going to read you just a snippet of scripture from the first chapter. If you, if you do have your Bibles, you could turn to John 1, chapter 35. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and following and asked, what do you want? They asked, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he said, and you will see. So they went and saw him where he was staying and spent the day with them. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which is translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about and about whom the prophets also wrote. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Well, come and see, Philip said. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still underneath the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathan declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And as we share your word tonight, pray that it would inspire our faith, that we would walk out of this place feeling built up and encouraged, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just by way of show of hands, how many of you have ever had like a negative experience and told somebody around you? I think we've all sort of had that, haven't we? I remember it was a number of years ago when I first flew this airline, which I won't say their name right now. <clears throat> um, and I had an awful experience. It was just, it was really bad. I mean, I was made to pay all these fines and, you know, as you do, and the, it just rude. It was just, it was just really not a great experience, to be honest. And I tried as hard as I could to make a vow that I would never fly that airline again if I didn't have to. And um, I remember telling my friends, I remember telling my family, never, they're just awful, and I'm telling my experience. But equally so, how many of you have had a positive experience and you tell your friends about your positive experience? And for me, I guess, I, I tend to talk about my positive experiences more than my negative ones because I don't like to be a downer, Debbie Downer, you know, talking about my negative things. But, you know, you talk about positive things. I remember about 11 years ago being pulled along to this Coldplay show in London. And um, to be honest, I, I wasn't much of a Coldplay fan at the time. I mean, I, I liked their music. I, I listened to some of their songs. They were quite popular at the time, a lot on the radio. And I don't even think Spotify was around back then, but it was just, you know, like Coldplay were a thing for sure. So it was their last date on the tour. 
They were playing at Wembley Stadium. There were 80,000 people. It was the last day of their tour in London. They were finishing in London, as they do. And um, I went along with a bunch of my friends. And honestly, I have to say, it was the most unbelievable experience. It was one of the best nights of my life. It was wild. I was 10 rows from the front. I could feel drops from Chris Martin's sweat just fall on my face as he just... Oh, Chris Martin, thank you. <laughs> um, Jay-Z was there even. He opened for... I mean, it was just amazing. It was just musical, theatrical, dramatic. It was genius. It was, it was amazing. They had balls floating around the stadium. They even gave out CDs. They gave out live recording CDs of that night so you could hear yourself singing the songs to everyone for free after the show. It was amazing. I mean, I literally, after that day, became an advocate and an evangelist of Coldplay. I was like... You have to see Coldplay. You need to do yourself a favor. I mean, obviously, they might be past their prime now. I get that. But they are amazing, okay? Amazeballs in, in live show. They, they know how to do a live show. And I remember these words, you know, coming out of my mouth, going, look, I wish I could explain it to you. I wish you could see it. I wish I could show you the photos. Even if I do show you the photos, they're not going to do it justice. You just have to come and see for yourself. Have you ever found those words coming out of your mouth? You've been to a, you know, maybe you recently watched a movie. Maybe you recently went to a nice restaurant. Maybe you recently heard a great band or a, or a new song that you're like, mind-blowing. You have to come and see this for yourself. You have to watch this movie. Honestly, I wish I could explain to you. I can't. Just, just go and see it. Do yourself a favor. It's fascinating that this idea is at the very genesis of Jesus' ministry. It's at the very outset. Jesus is walking by the Jordan. John the Baptist says to his two disciples, hey, see that guy over there? That's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. Andrew and Philip, they leave John the Baptist. They go after Jesus. Jesus, they say, um, where's your Airbnb? Like, where are you staying? I guess they were just trying to make conversation, right? Jesus, he didn't say. He didn't say, oh, guys, I'm just on Fifth Street. He's like, come and see. So Andrew and Philip go along with Jesus and have an experience with him. They spend the whole day with them. It's a great turn of phrase, isn't it? Come and see. And as... We journey through the book of John. We're going to see this phrase weaved throughout its pages. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He goes on and he says, Those the Father gives me will come to me. For I have come down from heaven. And even in the first chapter, the first half of the first chapter, John talks about the word being made flesh. Eugene Peterson in the message translation puts it like this. He moved into the neighborhood. He put on flesh and blood. He put on sinews and ligaments and moved in to the neighborhood. Jesus came down from heaven to earth so that we can come to him. This is the great invitation that he offers every person. Um, let me continue here. It says, Jesus says um, in John uh, 7, uh, anyone who is thirsty, 
come to me and drink. And in John 21, 12, at the very end of his gospel account, uh, Jesus is on the beach. His disciples are in, are in the boats. They come into, to, this is when he is resurrected. He says, come and have breakfast with me. Jesus invites people around him to come to him, to come and see, come and experience. And this invitation isn't like the golden tickets of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, us four and no more, you know, just for the, the few. This invitation is for anyone. In fact, John refers to it in 3.16 where he says, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him, shall not die, but have everlasting life. This invitation is for the whosoevers. Are you a whosoever today? Then you're included in the great invitation that God has on offer for you. He's saying, come, come and see, come and experience me, come and drink, come and eat, come and experience the personhood of who I am. Come and experience. You can know a lot about God, but the question is, do you know God? I remember uh, about a few years ago, um, a, a friend of mine invited me to Stockholm, and um, he was a pastor friend, so I went and joined him for um, a weekend in Stockholm. And what I didn't realize is that um, there was an incredibly, incredibly famous person in Stockholm that same weekend who he was friends with. And if I said this person's name, you would all know this person and you would know a lot about this person as well because there was all sorts of media and writing and yeah, tabloids and stuff about this individual. And so we ended up spending an entire day with this famous person. And it was a really fascinating experience for me because um, leading up to that, I thought that I knew a lot about this person. You know, you read things, you hear things, you have conversations about famous people and you make judgments and you think, ah, oh, you say stuff that you don't know them, but you say things based on your perception of them, right? My experience of this person caused me to treat everything prior as being obsolete because my experience of this person was entirely different to what I'd heard and what I'd read. You can't believe what you read, right? The same is true with Jesus. You know, there's lots of people who have lots of opinions about who Jesus is. Oh, isn't he that guy who like did this and did that? Oh, and the church has kind of gone a bit funky, hasn't it? And the church is, you can know a lot about God. You can study till you're blue in the face. There are lots of documents out there. You can throw yourself into them your entire life and you can gain a lot of head knowledge about this God. But the question is not, do you know about God? Do you know him? Have you experienced his personhood for yourself? Can you correct people and be like, no, God's not like that. He's like this. I know him. He's gracious. He's good. He is loving. He's kind. He is patient. Do you know him? David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to experience this thing for yourself, right? Now, not only are we invited into this relationship with God to experience Him, to His personhood and everything that He has on offer for us, but it's natural, isn't it, that when you have a good experience, 
like my experience of Coldplay, it causes you to become an advocate and an evangelist, doesn't it? It causes you to want to tell the people in your world about your positive experience. So you tell your family, you tell your friends, you, you're like, oh my gosh, this, this happened to me. This is amazing. Like, it, it, God touched my life and I, don't, I can't explain it. Like, I, I don't know what happened in here, but some, something happened and I wish, I wish you could experience it too, but, but, but I can't show you. You've just got to experience it. So come and see. And this is what Andrew and Philip do. They have this amazing experience with Jesus. It's so significant and marks them. The very next day, the first thing they do, the Bible says, is, is that Andrew goes to his brother Simon and says, Simon, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. We have found him, the guy we've been waiting for. He's going to set everything right. He's the Savior. He's Israel's Messiah. This is the guy. Jesus, I've ne- yeah, it's him. I wish I could explain it to you. I wish I could show you the photos. We took a selfie, the whole deal, but I can't. So just come and see for yourself. So he brings him to Jesus. Philip does exactly the same thing. He goes to what is BFF, Nathaniel who's a skeptic, and he says, Nat, you're not going to believe this. We found him. It's the guy, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, wait a minute, Nazareth? Does anything good come out of Nazareth? What are we talking about? Philip's like, I know it doesn't make sense. Look, I've been trying to work this out. It, Nazareth, I know, it, uh, it, uh, but listen, I had this experience. And if I can just get you to experience what I experienced, then you believe me. Then you'll know it to be true too. And so he convinces, he just says, just come and see. Come and see. And both Nathaniel and Simon experience Jesus and their lives are transformed and shifted forever because of their experience, because of their come and see experience. This theme weaves itself throughout the Gospel of John. We see it in the Samaritan woman. Remember the Samaritan woman? Jesus meets this woman at a well, and he has this conversation with her and basically gives her this word of knowledge and says, well, you've had five husbands, but now you're living with the man you're not even married to. And she's like, oh my gosh, stop. You just, you didn't. And he's like, I did. I just gave you a word of knowledge. How's that? And she's like, this is amazing. She runs back to her village. She wasn't a preacher. She wasn't in full-time ministry, was she? She didn't have an Oxford-educated doctorate in theology. She went back to her village, and these are her words. Come and see a man who told me everything about my life. This village invite Jesus to come to them, The entire village, the Bible says, turns their lives over to Jesus. They believe on him. This woman ushered in one of the greatest revivals of history. Why? Not because she was book smart. Not because she had all the answers. But because she had an experience with Jesus. And her natural response to her experience was to tell the people in her world to come and see for themselves. See, the good news is, is that we don't have to be book smart 
to invite people to church or to invite people into a relationship with God. We're talking about fishermen who transformed the entire world. They didn't do it because they were the brightest bunch, trust me. They did it because they experienced the presence, the person, and the power of God in such a radical way. They couldn't help but say, come and see for yourselves. The very end of his book, John writes this. And he actually gives us the purpose to why he wrote his gospel account, which is very useful if we're trying to understand it. He says here, I have taken just a handful of accounts and things and I've put them into a record, a document, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. John had an experience with Jesus and he puts together this gospel account, this portrait of Jesus in order to offer it to the world to say, come and see, come and experience Jesus for yourselves. Just try it. What's the worst that could happen? I guess my challenge to all of us today is this. Are we a come and see people? Are we a come and see church? Are we come and see individuals? Are we going to Jesus and experiencing all that he has on offer for us personally? And, and secondly, as a response to that, is there a challenge to step out in courage and in some boldness and to start to say to the people in our worlds, in our workplaces, our families, our friends, look, I don't have all the answers. I don't have a degree in theology. I don't have a background in philosophy. I don't know the Bible back to front, but I do have an experience. And my experience is that Jesus changed my life. And he can do the same for you if you would just come and see. And so I put that challenge out there to all of us today, including myself, to step out and to begin to open up some conversations maybe with some of the people in our worlds and just offer that question. Well, why don't you come and see? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and it is active. You're not a dead God. You're not a dormant God. You're not a God who's made of stone or statue, but you are alive and you are active. You are on the move. God, you speak, you hear, you act, you care, you provide, you protect. God, we're so thankful for everything that you have on offer for us today. Jesus, that in you there is life to be had. There is hope for tomorrow. There is faith. There is love. There is kindness. God, you're so good to us. And Lord, even now, I ask that you would stir up in us a boldness and a courage.
to step out out of our own contexts, to step past ourselves and into the worlds of the people around us and offer them that same invitation that was offered to us. Come and see. thank you for your presence today God we love you in Jesus name